Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. With life starting to look much more like our pre-COVID one right now in Australia, the question has been raised again. When can we travel overseas? When will those families who've been separated by COVID be able to see each other again? We've been given no guidelines, no roadmap, no time frame of when these things are looking to happen. Our Federal Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, announced that we may be able to head outside our national borders at the back end of next year. But what does that mean for the travel industry? And how will we manage to keep COVID at bay if we head to places that are not handling it as well as we are? Today, we find out just how viable international travel will be in 2021 and whether all those grandparents waiting to meet their newborn grandbabies for the first time will have something to look forward to next year. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Last Tuesday, the world celebrated a first birthday, but not one any of us wanted to see happen. Because 12 months ago on November 17, the first person in Wuhan province in China came forward with flu-like symptoms. They would be one of 226 people identified to have contracted COVID-19 in the year it allegedly jumped from an unknown animal source at a wet market. From that day in November 2019, there were between one and five new cases reported each day for the next month. By December 20, there were 60 confirmed cases. It was only then that the Chinese authorities alerted the world. Here in Australia, we went on with our Christmas celebrations with no idea of what was to come. On January 7 this year, as we faced an unprecedented bushfire season, the novel coronavirus was finally isolated and confirmed. Not long after that, countries started to shut their borders. On Friday, March 20th, Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced that Australia had closed its borders to non-residents and non-citizens. Now, eight months later, those borders remain shut and life with COVID-19 has changed us all. More than 55 million people have been infected and while nearly 36 million have recovered, there are friends and families of 1.34 million people who've lost a loved one to this pandemic. Some of us have been separated from our loved ones for a long time, like Chloe, who hasn't seen her partner Yanni, who's in Greece, for over a year now. So we actually met over in Greece when I was 18. We met at a beach bar, so it was kind of cute, a little bit romantic rom-com style. (laughs) We have been together for three and a half years now. 
I do spend quite a bit of time over there pre-COVID, obviously. So normally about three, four months a year, I do spend that time in Greece. We had been waiting for my partner to finish his studies and move to Australia. So he was meant to come in May. Unfortunately, that's when all the flights were being cancelled. So that was cancelled along with my trip to Greece and along with his visa. So he wasn't able to come at all and he wasn't able to move this year when we had originally planned. So he was meant to be living in Australia by this time, 2020. So where are we at now? Where are we at now? We're at 14 months without seeing each other. Obviously, long distance is not easy when we're not able to plan for the future and plan for when we're able to see each other next. It's one of those situations where it's obviously very hard for anyone who's going through this, the hundreds of families who are separated from their partners and children. We've been given no guidelines, no roadmap, no time frame of when these things are looking to happen. Simon Westaway is the Executive Director of the Australian Tourism Industry Council and he says they are also desperately seeking some kind of time frame and guidance from the federal government. Well, I think what we need to see is really good transparency, but also I think some frankness around the reality of how quickly international travel may return. It's obviously been really quite interesting to see the developments of the various pharma companies with their vaccine solutions. There's also some really excellent antigen rapid testing products which have hit the market. And as Australia has obviously got COVID well contained in a community sense, clearly I think 2021 now is looking much more likely that we're going to see some levels of international travel. The difficulty is what's occurring outside our country. With record growth in COVID in the last week and then the week before that and the week before that. And as we're now seeing with the arriving Australians coming back into the country, those who've had difficulty getting home, and we're seeing relatively large percentages of people carrying COVID coming back in. So it's going to be a difficult one. I think We've got to take the lead of the likes of Qantas. I mean, Qantas have been pretty consistent here. They're saying the second half of 2021, in reality, they see some level of return to international travel. They've put New Zealand, obviously, as as an option before that. And, um, you know, I think that's a pretty good lead to take at this stage. What impact will an effective vaccine have on international travel? I mean, we already get vaccinated for certain things if we travel to certain areas of the world. Do you think that will just become a part of international travel here in Australia that we'll need to carry some kind of proof that we've had a COVID vaccine before we can leave our borders? Absolutely. As we carry a passport, when we travel abroad, we're going to, in essence, need a health passport, which could all be digitally developed, if that makes sense. But absolutely, I think over these next 6, 12, 18 months, possibly two years, and in reality beyond, I think people would have had to have either done a a COVID test or a a flu-like test perhaps 24, 48, 72 hours before travel, possibly having some type of what they call a rapid testing regime occurring either at airport of departure or airport of arrival. And you'll need to show the bona fides that indeed if you're vaccinated once the vaccine hits the streets. So I think it's going to be part and parcel. There's going to be more logistics around this, but I think one thing we can take heart through all of this, travel and tourism, particularly the aviation industry, they've been down this path before. There's obviously, as you alluded in your question, there's been other other diseases, other viruses that have occurred over the journey and air travel in particular is a very safe practice, particularly coming in and out of Australia. So I think for your listeners, there's real hope there. I think just read and watch and see what occurs 
And I think take the leads of the likes of Qantas. You know, they're the leading airline in the world for a reason and they've got their head screwed on here. And I think the feeling is that the timeline might start to really shrink now with these vaccine solutions being pushed around. So I really generally believe it'll be late 2021, definitely second half 2021 before we see any sort of level of international travel reoccurring. Well, that's the positive note. Can we just for a second delve into worst case scenario territory? Say we don't end up opening our borders in 2021. What kind of impact are we looking at on tourism travel here in Australia? Yeah, well, that's an issue we've obviously been quite acutely aware of. Pre the virus, so in 2019, we received close to $50 billion in tourism receipts of visitors coming to our shores. Australians spent collectively $60 billion plus in terms of our outbound travel. Now, some of that is government travel and business travel, but a lot of it was leisure, visiting friends and relatives, going to Bali, Thailand, skiing in Japan and so forth. You know, the drill on Australians are huge travellers. We're one of the strongest travelling destinations on the planet and we receive a lot of visitors in return. A little over 9 million long-haul travellers a year were coming here, a lot from China. So we have a lot to lose. If you add all that up, I mean, it's well above $100 billion in economic throughput, which isn't occurring. It's a good question because IATA are like the global body that represents airlines and Qantas are a part of that, but they've been highly pessimistic until recently around genuine international travel returns. While Qantas say that they can get some international services occurring in the second half of 2021, IATA are really saying you won't see normality back until about 2023, 2024. So it's really interesting and somewhat depressing if you think about it that way, but we've got technology on our side and you've got organisations that are very focused on doing it safely, but it'll be a health passport alongside your normal passport. You'll need to no doubt be vaccinated or certainly have a treatment regime or importantly coming in and out of a region where there's very low levels of community transmission or COVID. Otherwise, I think travel is going to be somewhere off. So you think maybe we'll be looking at a world map slightly differently once we do take to the air again, that there'll be places that'll be off limits for a time, you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, sadly, the US and Europe, perhaps not all of Europe, but certainly many parts of Europe, you know, places like Greece have done quite well, but obviously the UK, Germany, they've obviously had very high incidences. If you're looking to travel abroad over the next 6, 12, 18 months, I think New Zealand will definitely be on the radar from 2021. The moment that the New Zealand has dropped the 14-day mandatory quarantine arrangement, I, I think the New Zealand market will really open up. I think the Pacific Islands are a really good opportunity for Australians in 2021. But again, they have very, very low levels of COVID. The issue will be how we can ensure that we don't accidentally export it across, if that makes sense, even though we have very low levels here. And Southeast Asia, I think, is a real option. You know, places like Singapore are trying really hard to get what they call green lanes and established protocols in place. The Prime Minister was in Japan last week, and I'm quite optimistic about the Japanese market for us. It's pretty good two-way arrangements for us, but in terms of Aussies like getting there and Japanese love coming here, but, you know, they've had some recent weeks have had high COVID levels. So, again, that's probably a second half of 2021. But I think Asia, New Zealand, the Pacific are probably going to be our options. And then you have to be a pretty intrepid traveller to want to be embarking on a journey into Europe anytime soon or the States. The numbers just appear really high and they are high and you just got to wonder if that's really a true reflection of how widespread the disease is. Speaking at a National Press Club event last week, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg flagged international borders would remain closed for the short term at least. International travel, including by tourists and international students, is assumed to remain largely closed off until late next year and then gradually return over time. 
And while we have managed to create a successful travel bubble with New Zealand, still, while they're allowed to travel here, we aren't allowed to leave the country. If we were allowed to leave, though, there are already countries who've dropped all restrictions for arriving Aussies, including the UK, the US, Singapore and most of the European Union, all allowing Australians to arrive without the need for 14 days of quarantine. In fact, last week, the Australian passport was ranked the world's second most powerful passport in the world, behind New Zealand. Over the weekend, New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian announced that she wants to make a third of their quarantine hotel space available for international students and skilled migrants, a move at odds with the federal government's pledge to prioritise those Aussies still stranded overseas. Up to 70 international students will be touching down in Darwin from China, Japan, Vietnam and Indonesia at the end of this month. The Northern Territory's Charles Darwin University, the first in the country to pilot a program bringing those students back after South Australia had to pause theirs due to their recent COVID outbreak. That leaves the rest of Australia's 135,000 international students stranded until next year at least, and Australians still unable to leave the country. Of course, a lot of our international movement will rely on whether a vaccine is released next year. Global Professional Services Network, KPMG, released a study on COVID-19's impact on the Australian population and economy, both with and without a vaccine. With no vaccine, they found that our population growth would fall more than 1 million short of the projected ABS levels of 29.12 million by 2030. It's estimated our GDP will be almost $100 billion lower in that same time frame, and the impact on the country's long-term working population would mean significant annual drops in GDP. Our real household disposable income will also drop, which means a drop in our standard of living. So the sooner international travel gets back up and running, the better for us financially. But at what cost to our health? This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, with audio production by Ian Camilleri and guest booking by Mel Zauer. If you followed these guys on social media during the lockdown, you would know how much Anthony Kalia and husband Tim Campbell love to ham it up for the camera. So how do they go up against each other? Anthony, I want this one to come from you. So who is our national (laughs) netball team? What was the name? Opals. I'm oh, right, aren't I? Oh my god, no. Oh, don't. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Oh. Don't play with my head. <laughs> I'm not. It's the diamonds. It's the diamonds? Yes. Oh, <laughs> god, I'm such a dumbass. So, after you said it with such authority, like, I know the answer to this, you silly old bitch over there. <laughs> like, I was not thinking oh, that. Oopsie. <laughs> oh. You totally called it. <laughs> Check out Anthony Kalia and Tim Campbell going head-to-head in Mamma Mia's Quizish podcast in your favourite app now. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.